can only be made possible through your wisdom. And we pray that you would shed that light upon us, that we'd be able to retain the information, that we'd be able to use it in a way to affect our community, the people that we know, family members. And we ask all of this not for our own sakes, although that is a byproduct, but for your glory. And may it be said of the people who attend here, Lord, that they are definitely Christians, that they follow you, they are sacrificial, they are loving, they are all those things that you hold up as a character of an honest and blessed people. So, Father, bless this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, a little bit of housekeeping. Youth is tomorrow night, which is here. If you have a high schooler or somebody that's a young adult, <coughs> we'll be meeting over in the other side. Also, the way I want to work Wednesdays is kind of like a Bible study, but kind of like Sunday morning. If you have a question during the message, I want you to be able to ask the question. I want you to raise your hand and think about your question before you ask it. Uh, sometimes when people have questions, they don't really formulate it in their mind, and they just kind of run on and give a big explanation. You don't want to do that. You want to make sure your question is pointed. And also, if you have some personal anecdotes or stories that you would like to tell, this is not the place to do it. We want to stay on task. We want to get through the message. Now, this particular message that I told you I was going to be talking about is um, the Christian response to homosexuality, what is taking place here in our country. Now, it's not worldwide, although the ripple effects are going worldwide, but there is a new wave. It is not the same country that we were in 10 years ago not even 15 or 20 years ago. The morality of our country has changed. Uh, it has been, in biblical terms, it has been digressing into Sodom and Gomorrah, where everything is acceptable and permissible, except for being a Christian. And so knowing this, we have to know how to act, how to respond to those who are around us. Now, I want to ask in here, who does not know or have a family member or a friend that is gay? Who does not have that association at all? You can't talk to somebody. Is there one person? Anybody else does not know somebody who is gay? All of you know somebody who is gay. Um, now, this is later on in the message, but I would ask this as well. What percentage of the population is gay. Do you guys? Two, seven, ten percent. Five percent. Okay, there's a gentleman by the name of Kinsey. Back in the 50s, he did a survey, a report on sexuality. I happened to go through his book when I was in college. Uh, it was a textbook, a sociology uh, textbook. And he came up with the statistic that the entire population is 10% gay. And that held for a long time until it was revealed his survey took place in only one place, prison. So in prison, he found that the population was 10% gay, which, okay, it's going to be higher. And the general population depends on who you talk to. Uh, there are some estimates it goes as high as 20% of the population is gay and or transgendered. By the way, when we talked about this in the home Bible study, transgendered individual only make up three thousandths of the population. It's very small, but you would think it's much larger. The best estimates which are out there the gay community is somewhere between 1.5 and 2% of the population. It's no greater than that, although uh, the media would have you think differently. Uh, it is not, and they are actively recruiting to increase those numbers. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up 
is because I've gotten several questions over the last year or two and questions like this. And we're going to actually answer these as we go through. Now, this is going to be more than one part, this message. I'm not going to finish it tonight. There's no way. Uh, There's just too much to deal with. There's too much information which is out there. But these questions uh, which come up, and I'm going to give them to you, and I'm going to have you answer them, and I will give the biblical perspective on these questions. Now, (coughs) I will uh, ask these questions the same way. I have them in my message, and I might add a few more. Uh, Here are some of the questions. If I have a family member who is gay and claims to be a Christian, what do I do? How do I treat them? If they get married, do I go to the wedding? Do I participate in the wedding? Do I invite them to dinner? In other words, a gay couple. Should I attend any function where there are going to be gays showing signs of affection? Should I maintain close friendships with those who are gay? Can I go to Hillcrest and hang out in the restaurants? Should I participate in anything concerning Pride Week in San Diego? My workplace promotes the gay agenda and is tolerant of everything else but Christianity. Should I stay or should I quit? Should I just remain silent about everything gay? If I'm a baker of cakes, should I refuse to bake a cake for a gay wedding? Should we allow someone who is gay to attend church? What if somebody is transgendered and they get saved? What then? So these are questions that are relevant to us. Uh, We are going to run across these. We have already had in attendance at least one time here somebody who is transgendered. Uh, You probably never knew that. Uh, We've had people who attend here who have uh, confessed to being gay. And so what about that? Do we allow them to attend? Do we not allow them to attend? Uh, How do we deal with that biblically? And is there going to be an offense if we do so? All of these things need to be answered in a biblical fashion so that we can be a witness no matter what the consequences. We want to do what is right. So each of us has been touched by the expansion of homosexuality in our society. Some have immediate family members, like I said. There is a move to suppress the opposition to the lifestyle, which in the coming years may turn into persecution of those who object. Now, you understand that. The views that you hold... If you stick to them, there's a good chance that you will be persecuted for those particular views. And it may come first from the private sector, but then from the government sector. That is the next step. And let me review this. I uh, mentioned this a few weeks ago. This idea of an authoritarian society as opposed to a totalitarian society. An authoritarian society will come and impose taxes on you and regulations and behaviors that you must adhere to or you will get fined. And they tolerate you if you break these and they will just carry out the law of punishment against you. That's an authoritarian society. A totalitarian society will say not only is it wrong what you did, but we are now going to prevent you from doing this in the future. Whether we have to incarcerate you, whether we have to put monitors around you, whether we have to remove you from society, and eventually, you know, there there could come uh, even more severe persecution. For instance, if you go to Russia today and you claim to be gay, or if you go to the 1040 window and you claim to be gay, what might happen to you? you'll probably be killed, is what will happen. In Russia, it would be by the peer pressure. <coughs> I've actually seen or read, I read this one testimony of a, a gay couple that was walking down the street in Russia and somebody just came up from behind them and just pushed them and kind of punched them and just kept on walking. And so that's the attitude of society over there if it is something that is covert. Here... On the other hand, uh, when Patty and I were away this weekend, I saw it everywhere. Uh, It wasn't something that was hidden. It was something that was definitely out in the open. And it wasn't many people, but it was definitely visible. Now, 
I told you what the percentage of the population is, and depending on who you listen to is the view that you'll get. And pop culture has embraced the lifestyle, and the media openly endorses and promotes its participation. And not only have pop, pop culture and media endorsed it, but academia has all the way down to kindergarten, all the way down to preschool. That is in the curriculum of the elementary school kids. Uh, like Heather Has Two Mommies, you've probably heard of that book. And so they want to make this acceptable in the culture. Now, we can go about explaining this, or I can go about explaining this in a couple of different ways. There's the pragmatic approach, there's the utilitarian approach, there's the sociological approach. The pragmatic approach, you would come to somebody and you would talk about the detriments to health if you're involved in the gay lifestyle. Usually gay men, they don't live long lives. They die because of health reasons. Uh, they're uh, emotionally unstable. That would be the sociological approach. They're soci they are sometimes ostracized by society. Sometimes they're outcasts. Most of the time they have been molested in some way. Um, uh, for instance, there is, um, there's a radio program on in the afternoon on Kogo Radio. And it was the guy who was running for mayor. What, what's his name? DeMaio, Carl DeMaio, and I heard his testimony once. Uh, he was saying it over the radio that he was somewhere and there were some stairs and he said something or did something wrong and his father turned around and punched him as like a nine-year-old kid and knocked him down the stairs uh, in front of all kinds of people. That's what he did. So he didn't have a good father figure and he may have turned to homosexuality because of that, but there are are so many testimonies of that where a father is absent, gives no direction, the child, the boy, is raised by the mother, or the, in the case of uh, young women, the father uh, sexually abused the child or somebody else in the family did. All of these can be triggers that turn somebody to the gay lifestyle. As far as being born, now I'm just going to go off the message here for a minute. People will come up and they will say, I was born this way. I have never thought of anything else. I've always been attracted to the same sex. Now, physiologically speaking, there is not a gay gene. They are looking for the gay gene, but there is not a gay gene. <clears throat> if people want to go down that road, and I need you to listen carefully on this, I will not argue with them about being born that way. Uh, let me ask you this. Is a child, a little child who is born, are they born naturally disobedient? Yes. There's no question. You have to correct them, right? Uh, as a child gets a little older, are they naturally prone to lie? No question, right? Even my kids, they lied too. And, you know, I had to deal with that. Will a child have a tendency just to steal something if they see it? And you have to be right there to make sure they're not going to steal something. Do you remember the first time you said a cuss word and your parents heard it? Or even uh, euphemisms. Uh, I remember I said this euphemism and my mom turned around to me. She goes, what did you say? I go, what? I did. And I said it again. She, what? And she, you know, she just about popped a vein in her uh, neck. And she goes, don't you ever talk like that. And I go, oh, I didn't know it was wrong to say it was a euphemism. I didn't know it was wrong to say that. And she goes, oh, absolutely. That's wrong. You never be talking like that. And, and so she went off for a little bit. So what I'm trying to say is we are born into sin. If somebody wants to say they were born gay, I'm not going to argue with them. People are born murderers, they are born kleptomaniacs, they are born liars, but it's all behaviorally based. And you have to get a handle on the behavior. That is the reason for parents, both male and female. The mother has a tendency to be a little more compassionate, or the father has a tendency to be a little more stern. 
If you separate those two out and only have one, usually there's going to be some kinds of problems that develop socially or uh, psychologically. And so that's why God set up the family, and he did it in the beginning in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's why God did it. And he did it solely for the purpose of bringing the two together as one and producing another generation. And he wanted the population to increase. That's why he said, be fruitful and multiply. Not just have one, but have several. That was his interest. So this idea of a pragmatic approach, you can say the gay lifestyle is something that can affect you physically, and it's probably in your best interest to avoid that. For instance, AIDS, right? Now, I don't know if you remember the AIDS epidemic when it came up. They said that it's going to cross over into the heterosexual population. I have a big file at home of all the claims they were making that was going to happen in connection with the gay lifestyle and this AIDS, the advent of AIDS. And none of it came true. They said it was going to be an epidemic amongst the homosexuals and, or excuse me, the heterosexuals. And it never came to fruition. And remember HIPAA, the HIPAA laws? You know that that is a result of the gay lifestyle and the advent of AIDS. They didn't want the information getting out medically that somebody was gay and might have AIDS. So they wanted to protect that information. That's where the HIPAA laws came from. We didn't have that before uh, the advent of AIDS. There's the utilitarian approach. What do I mean by that? (coughs) Everything that you know of is made usually for one primary purpose. For instance, these are glasses. They're made for one purpose, to put on my eyes to where I can see. Now, if I'm really ingenious, I can go out in the sun if I'm in the desert and I can try to start a fire with them, but it's not going to be so useful with a pair of glasses, right? I can choose to use them as a hammer. It's not going to work very good. I can use it as a spoon to stir on the stove. It's not going to work very good. They are made for one purpose, a chair is made for one purpose, for you to sit on. If you stand on it, there might be problems, right? That's not what it's made for. Like a ladder. A ladder is not meant to be used as a hammer as well. A ladder is meant to climb. Well, men and women are created specifically for one purpose, for each other. That's why they are created. Now, ultimately, there is a a primary purpose above that, which is to bring glory to God. That's why we were created. But here on earth, we are created for each other. Physically, we are built that way. When you try to change that around, especially in a same-sex relationship, men were not physically built to be with men. Neither were women physically built to be with women. And the scripture actually declares that. And then the sociological uh, approach, you know, once you head down this slippery slope, you guys know what polyamory is. Uh, It's where you can be in love with several people at one time. You can have a marriage between not just two, but three or four. Isn't that that show, Sister Wives, something like that? Well, what if you wanted to have two men and three women all married to each other? There is nothing in the law now that would prevent that. What if a uh, incestual relationship developed between a mother and a son or a father and a daughter and they wanted to get married? Why is there any prohibition against that now that two men could get married? I actually read an article just two days ago in Slate magazine. They said, this is coming where you will be able to marry your robot Yes, there is actually a movie that was made in 1999 that dealt with this. Bicentennial Man. It's where he became a robot. He was a robot, but he became more human. And the woman that he had feelings for became more robotic, had implants and stuff like that. And at the end of the movie, they both died together. And so this is not a new concept. 1999 is when that was made. So basically, and there are, there are other articles about uh, marrying your pets. 
that you are so in love with your pet that you want to marry your pet. And so this is where the culture is going. You need to be aware of it. And when you see it, you can say, oh, I heard about that Wednesday night. Pastor Bill was talking about that. And you will see articles going in that direction. Now, you may not see them in a conservative publication, but you will certainly see them in publications that have a more progressive or a liberal bent. And so sociologically, you know, we're degrading as a society. There's going to be problems as we work in our social networks. Uh, and that would be one reason, one approach that we could approach this, or one approach that we could use to talk about the gay lifestyle. Now, let me start out from the beginning and just tell you about the gay lifestyle from a biblical worldview. The Bible declares that homosexuality is wrong. That's black and white. That's what it says. Behaviorally, or behavior based on biblical teaching and morality prohibits personal involvement in the gay lifestyle. It specifically talks about that. Christians are to communicate God's love for those who are involved in the gay lifestyle, but urgently warn them that God will also judge those who participate in it. So that's the truth of the Bible. I'm giving you that right up front. Now, if I just left it at that, some people are just going to say, okay, that's good. God said it. That settles it. I'm good. I'm walking away. I believe it. There's no problems. We can just go from there. Now, if I did that, <coughs> you wouldn't be equipped. It's like going up to somebody and just telling them the way things are. You have no evidence behind you. You have no information. Why should they believe you? You have to be able to first have an understanding of who you're talking to. Uh, when you take uh, homiletics, homiletics is a course where you learn how to give a sermon. You learn who you're talking to. You learn how to divide the message into parts. Usually there's a three-part sermon, which is the most common. You have three points to your sermon. Uh, there's uh, ways to write an essay, for instance. You have the thesis, you have the body, and you have the conclusion. Well, there, there are ways to communicate. You have to know who you're communicating to. If you go out and you talk to somebody who is not a Christian, never believed in Christ, you can't use hallelujah, praise the Lord's with them. They will not understand what you're talking about. You might as well be from Mars. And if you say something about what God says, they're going to get glassy-eyed and it's just going to go over their head and they're not going to listen to a single word you have to say. So you have to understand how to communicate and with whom you are communicating with. And then they will be able to engage you properly. Now, how do we do this? First Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7 says, Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. So, yes. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. So, if you have to spend everything you have in your bank account to get understanding, the Bible says do it. If you have to deprive yourself of sleep to get understanding, the Bible says do it. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. And so the Bible has made a declarative statement. You better get on the stick, so to speak, and make sure you know how to communicate and what you're communicating. Now, I have a question for you. After removing your biblical worldview... And I'll explain more about what that is for those of you who understand the biblical worldview. What do you think is the reason for the advent of the homosexual agenda and immorality in general into our society and culture? And in other words, you can't answer it by saying, well, it's because of sin. Well, it's because of the fall. Well, it's because God prophesied in the end times evil will grow worse. You can't use any of those arguments. So without using any of those, how do you explain the advent? And just one more clip with that. Has anybody ever said in here, how is this happening? Why, why is this just steamrolling across the nation? Doesn't anybody see what's going on? And you're not allowed to say, you're not allowed to say, it's sin. You're not allowed to say, God said it would happen. You can't use God at all. 
Yes, Mark. Self-centeredness. Okay. Now, I want to challenge you a little bit. Okay, so don't, don't, hold on. Don't feel intimidated if I press back just a little bit. Okay. For you, Mark, self-centeredness, selfishness. There are magazines that are self, us. Everything is about you. And that's the way society talks. So if you go up to somebody who is geared because of the culture and looks at it and say, well, that's how I'm supposed to be. What are you talking about? I'm supposed to be selfish. I'm supposed to be self-centered. They tell me that in school. I'm a good person, right? What say you? Okay. Okay, you're using Bible. Cannot use Bible in this question. You cannot use it. Yes. I think that this movement has become prominent because the world is leaning towards that and teaching that everything is relative and that there are no no absolutes, no absolute right and wrong. That everything is relative to what you want to be right is right for you, and what I want to be right is right for me. But there's no absolute truth, and so there's been a decline in morality because everyone's just doing what's right in their own eyes. That's Bible. You hey, can't be. You don't know that. <laughs> I know that. I know that. Okay, you're partially right. Okay, I, you are partially right on that. That's good. You've been listening to Ravi Zacharias, I can tell. <laughs> okay, when we approach this, first we have to be able to answer the question, why is this happening and not from a biblical viewpoint? Because if people want to come to understanding that are outside of that, now let me digress just a little bit. Our job is to give the gospel, Right? We go out and something as simple as, hi, my name is Bill Botker. I'm from Calvary Chapel Lakeside. I'm here to present the gospel. Would you like to hear it? Plain and simple. I give them the gospel. Everybody is under judgment. None of us is good. All have fallen short of of God's glory and all of us are sinners. And you can have a way out of this judgment, which is to come. And you give to them Romans 10, 9, and 10. And you explain to them what sin actually is. And hopefully they recognize it. But there are people, most people will openly reject that. They will have their own views. They will say in response, well, I don't believe that. That's what they'll say right to begin with. I don't believe I'm a sinner. I just believe that's the way things are. That's how we are and that's how we've evolved, like Elizabeth was saying. We just kind of evolve into this type of um, behavioral attitude and action. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain the why before the what and the how. Did you catch that? I'm going to explain the why things are going the way that they're going. Then I'm going to explain what the Bible has to say about it. Then I'm going to tell you, hopefully instruct you, how we're supposed to respond, how we actually get in the culture and we try to make a difference. And by the way, not that I am a pessimist, but in the end we lose on earth we win in heaven before uh, gay marriage came about I think two and a half years ago I told you it was coming uh, remember the prop 8 we put up signs outside of the church and they broke our windows and I said eventually this will happen this will happen nationwide and it will start going through the entire world well it has come to fruition Now, and not that I'm a prophet, you can just read the handwriting on the wall. So we have this why. Why are we even at this crossroad? Why is the world going in its current direction? Why are things changing? Why are the morals migrating away from biblical standards? That's the why. Then there's the what. What does the Bible have to say about immorality and specifically homosexuality? 
And thirdly, how are we to interpret what the Bible says about homosexuality? How are we to respond to what the Bible says about homosexuality? How are we to treat others who are involved in that lifestyle? How are we to respond to the homosexual agenda? How do we engage others on this subject? So I'm going to cover those three areas. Now the first one, (coughs) why biblical morality? Everybody has a system of morals. Even atheists have systems of morals, things that they will not do, even though they don't believe in God. So everybody has a morality. When the saying came out, uh, stop legislating your morality upon us. Well, somebody's going to legislate their morality, so I'm going to fight to have my morality legislated because I believe it's based in God and goodness and righteousness and all of those things. And so we don't shrink away. We don't say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend. We say, no, I like my morality more than your morality. And as a citizen of the United States, I'm able to stand up and declare what that is. Still, so far, we can do that. Now, Yes. Uh, what do we do, like, if we lose our right to speak out? Because, like, if you go in other countries and you just try to present the gospel, like, you can be killed in other countries. So if we lose our right to do that here, do we kind of just go incognito? Or do we just keep going the way we were going and, like, be slaughtered? That I would give you a verse. Be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. I don't think you want to be foolish. I don't think you want to put neon signs. Here I am. Come get me. You know, I don't think we want to do that. So uh, we can do the sleuth thing. Christians throughout the centuries have had to do that. And that's okay. But uh, like right now in uh, China, you know, you go to China and uh, you start preaching the gospel. Uh, Remember Drew, he was invited to the police station in Cuba, right? Invited. They took him there and they wanted to question him about giving the gospel over there. So you, you want to use wisdom. Wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Now, before I go on with this, the purpose of this teaching is not for you to strictly gain knowledge and understanding. The purpose of this is so that you, and, and by the way, when it says in Scripture, what does it say in Scripture about knowledge? That's 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. So if you gain all kinds of knowledge, your head gets big. That's what happens. There's no result. You just kind of become unstable because your head's going back and forth and everybody looks at you and say, you're so conceited. You're so, you know, you think you're a know-it-all and we're supposed to maintain an attitude, a real attitude of humility, not a false humility, which is out there. Now, when we gain this knowledge... We are to use it to educate others. You are to use it to equip yourself to engage the culture for Christ. If you come just strictly wanting the knowledge, you're not going to benefit anyone. If you're only coming here because it's a Wednesday night service, who are you helping? You might say, well, it feeds my soul. Well, the purpose of feeding your soul is so that you might bring others to Christ and feed their souls and make disciples. The Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. We are to go into all the world and make disciples. So as you gain this knowledge, you have to make sure that you're giving it back out and you have to make sure you retain it and you take those notes. If you're not taking notes, it's probably not going to do you much good. Now, if you say, well, I can go to the website and listen to it. Are we recording this, Steve? Hopefully it's working. It's 100%. Okay, good. So you can go to the website afterwards and you can listen to it again. But I would encourage you to take notes. That's how you're going to remember this. And then you formulate it in such a way to where you can kind of recount what's going on. Now, you're supposed to be equipped to share your faith. Actually, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to give this to you. And by the way, what I'm doing here is I'm setting up the framework Uh, so that you might have something to hold, to hang your scriptures on, to hang your attitudes on, to, to hang how you engage somebody on. If you don't have this framework, it will just kind of fall apart. You'll have a smattering of verses here and there, but you want to have full understanding as, for instance, when we start with the why. 
why the culture is moving the way it is, I'm going to give you that framework. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It talks about those who have been given to the church. And referring to the Holy Spirit, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, of course, this is in conjunction with 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where it talks about the body of Christ. Some of us have performed special functions in the body and without your gift and being used, the body suffers. And so if you gain this knowledge, if you're able to tuck it away and recall it at whim or at your beck and call, you will be fulfilling your part in the body of Christ. Now, the reason that the whole society is going in a particular direction is because of worldviews. Worldviews are the way, and it's an overarching view of how the world works. What is taking place in the world? Where morality comes from? Where acceptable behavior is codified? We do that as a society as we look at the world and how it operates. Now, there are five basic worldviews. The one that I'm going to hold to is the theistic biblical worldview. I'll get to that in a minute. But the first one is the, it's naturalism is what it's called our naturalistic worldview. That's where you look at the world and you say, all there is is material. There is no spiritual. You have no morality. There is no absolute right and wrong. If a lion kills a deer, well, that's what it does. You know, and if uh, you want to have some other opinion, simply somebody who is of the naturalistic view will reject any deity. These are the people who are atheists, agnostics, <coughs> excuse me, and existentialists. Existentialists, they, they start from themselves and they work out. This is how it works for me and my world. And this is how you can operate according to your own worldview. But it is what it is. We live, we die. It's all over. It's a naturalistic worldview. Now, I don't hold that at all. I completely reject the naturalistic view of the world. Then there is the pantheistic worldview. The pantheistic worldview would encompass Hinduism, Buddhism, New Age, uh, consciousness, those types of things. And they would say there is only the spiritual dimension. This is the matrix. This is not real is what they would say. Christian science teaches that, that this is not real, that we need to go to the next place. In, in um, Buddhism, uh, I, when I was in high school, I read a book called Childhood's End. Do you guys know what that is? Anybody hear that? It's science fiction. I love science fiction when I was going through high school and college. And it dealt with this idea that uh, and it was only the last generation this last generation came together as one and ended up getting all these special powers and they ascended to be one with the energy in the universe and that's kind of the way it was it's totally buddhism that's what it is that you are not a person in and of yourself that you are yeah material here but the material world is false it is not true. And therefore, your very actions, if somebody wants to come to you and say your actions are sinful, they would just simply say your actions are unenlightened. They are not sinful or good. 
because this realm is not real. Now, we went to Cambodia, and there are Buddhists everywhere over there. It's funny to see a Buddhist carrying a red bull. You know, he had that red bull in his hand, and I'm thinking, why is it? That just seems kind of odd to me. And they would pull out their iPads and their phones and stuff like that, wearing the orange robes. And I'm just going, there's a non sequitur here somewhere. It's just, it's just not coming to and gelling for me. But that's the way that they look at the world. And so when we are in that part of the world, that's how everybody views it. Is we're just going to ascend and become one of the big energy ball which is out there. And we will lose our self-identity and all become the Borg. You guys know what the Borg are? Or those of you who are in Star Trek. Right, so you don't have any individualistic identity. And that's the pantheistic view. Then there's the theistic view or theism. That's Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. They believe that there is a right and wrong, that there are absolutes, and those things are based in a, usually a book, a document, and there is a judgment to come. And everything that we know, the way that we live, most of us live here, uh, that would be called the theistic worldview. There are moral values which are objective. They're expressed in absolutes, and so that's how we live our lives. Then there is the spiritism or the polytheism. Now, this encompasses most of the world, like Hinduism uh, is one of the religions that would be under, excuse me, Hinduism? No, not Hinduism. This is more, oh, yeah, this is, this is where the world lives in such a way where there are taboos. That you don't want to do that. Why don't you want to do that? You know, all these superstitions that come out, like uh, don't open an umbrella inside the house. Why? Because something bad's going to happen to you if you do that. Don't break a mirror. Well, that's taboo. You don't want to do that. Uh, what is the one with salt over the shoulder? Is that marriage or something? Okay, well, whatever it is. These superstitions that come up. Well, this, this was part of especially ancient religions. Remember the uh, temple to Aphrodite. What was in the temple to Aphrodite? Temple prostitutes. You would go to the temple prostitute. You would have the enjoyment of sleeping with the temple prostitute. You would leave your offering and therefore you would be blessed because you did just what you were supposed to do in making an offering to the gods. And there are certain taboos involved with these religions. And so you have to follow a prescribed set of behaviors in order not to anger one of the demons or one of the gods in some way. Uh, for instance, uh, All Hallows Eve and Trick or Treat. Uh, the idea that demons would come out or these spirits would come out and they'd wreak harm unless you gave them a treat of some kind. Well, this is what most of the world's religions were centered around, especially in ancient times. If you acted a particular way, you would gain the favor of these demigods, which would be out there. And some people still do that today. You know, if you carry a rabbit's foot, if you read your horoscope... Yeah, you, you want to follow that stuff because you know something good or bad might happen. Uh, you want to make sure you're not following that at all. Now, going on, this is the one that is most important that I'm going to give to you. Postmodernism. I believe that we are living in a postmodern society. It's where you get the secularism, you get the humanists which are out there. And reality must be interpreted through our language and our culture. In other words, the way that the culture is, is what morality is. And so there's a battle for the culture. You see it in the magazines. You see it in the television programs. You know, uh, Patty and I sometimes will watch really old movies. And I will recognize in those old movies certain themes, certain paradigms that are progressive in nature or liberal in nature. And they were back in the 20s and 30s and 40s. And you can see them coming out of the message from Hollywood. They were a little more subtle then, but it is unmistakable 
that they are there. Now, in the programs today, especially on television, you know, I don't watch a whole lot of television, but I want to ask you guys, maybe you do, is there any program that has a normal family on television? See, that's the point. That's the point is what is normal. So either you have somebody who is divorced, you have two women who are married with kids, you have stepkids, you don't have the normal family anymore. So, so culture has said no one's normal. We're going to wipe out this old Judeo-Christian idea, the nuclear family. It is never going to be, tra- be betrayed in television anymore. So there's a move by the media to change what is normal. So, and, and they use it under the guise of, well, what about the kids who don't have a normal family? You're going to make them feel bad. You know, sometimes when we feel bad, we do things that are right. And to take away that uh, kicking against the goats in our heart, that's not so good because that keeps us on the straight and narrow. So if we depicted things as they should be, it's like valedictorian. How many valedictorians are there in any high school today? There's supposed to be only one, but how many usually are there? Like six or seven, something like that. We, we don't want the kids to feel bad. How many kids get a trophy at the end of baseball season or... All of them get it, you know. Uh, when one, our oldest daughter, when she was real young, we took her to a beauty contest. You know, just she's so cute, we had to put her in one. Every single kid that was there got this huge trophy, and I'm going, what is this, you know? And they no longer give you A, B, C, and D in school, and F. F is not acceptable, Right? Some schools still do, but for the most part, it's either you pass or you fail, or you get what they even started it when I was in school. You get an E for effort. It's between a D and an F. You get an E, and they, that would actually be on the report card, the progress report. And so there is this measure to dumb down everything and make everything equal because if we do that as a society there's this egalitarianism where nobody is made to be different right that is postmodernism postmodernism also would express itself by tolerance freedom of expression inclusion and refusal to claim to have the answers or have all the answers that are universal values. In other words, if you say something is wrong, they would say, oh, come on, you're being a little pejorative here. You, you need to just back away from that particular view. You know, that's more like hate speech. You're going to offend somebody if you say that. So therefore, we're going to monitor what's going on. Did you hear state of California? They just got rid of a phrase legally. <laughs> you are no longer allowed to say officially illegal alien. Why? Because that might offend somebody. There's a change in the culture. Now that's what they consider right. That is right behavior. And that's where the establishment of morals come from. It comes from the collective of society. Now with this, there's a problem. Because our society in the United States would say, There are certain morals and standards we can hold to, like homosexuality, transgenderism, uh, polyamory. All of these things are going to be acceptable. If they're not fully already, they will be in the future. Go over to Saudi Arabia and try that. It's not going to work. But the people who are here will tolerate that because they say, well, that's their culture. Our culture is different. So they will tout the virtues of that culture, even though the subjugation of women is at the top of their list. And they will say, well, that's all right, but it is intolerable here to the point of becoming a totalitarian society that if you do something against women, you could be thrown in jail, whether if you were over there, just the opposite is true. If a woman gets raped, she is the one who is beaten. It is not those who are the rapists that are beaten. And they will tolerate that. That is not in keeping with the biblical worldview of what absolute truth and morality is all about. So when you're talking to somebody, they will have a worldview that is probably, in this country, 
It is probably postmodern. And you need to know that. So if you go to them and you say, you know, God said that that was wrong. It's kind of like, let me give a demonstration. What color is this? This is black. What color is this? This is white. You are in a postmodern society. You come up and you say, God said that is wrong. In society, how do you look? You stand out like a sore thumb, right? But in society that says homosexuality is okay, you blend right in. This is our society. It's just like this. And if you hold those views, you become acceptable. If you speak out, you will be like a the tone that comes over the radio when a show is ending, an ear-splitting tone. That's how you appear to those people in our society when you say something is wrong. So how do you go in there and say, well, I don't want to sound like an ear-splitting tone, but this is wrong. How do you communicate to them? There's a couple of different ways, and I don't want to get into the how too much right now, but it's this idea, there, there is a trick, and I've expressed this before, not, not to trick the individual, but if uh, in, in this particular type of society, postmodern society, you can pretty much guarantee they don't believe in absolute truth. They don't believe there are things that are absolutely right and absolutely wrong. So you ask them the question, do you believe, and before you get, even get to homosexuality, you, you don't even go there yet. You have to win them. And so you say to them, do you believe in absolute truth? What do you think they're going to say? No. Then what's your next question? Do you believe that absolutely? You guys have been listening. <clears throat> and, and I've done this before to several people, and there usually is this stunning amazement that comes over their faith because they realize if they say, yes, I believe it absolutely, then they believe in absolute truth. Once that takes place, you can lead them on to a discussion about morality and God and you go down that road. And there's a way to do that. Now, I've explained that in church before and in Bible study, but that is how we have to engage a postmodern society. You cannot start with what is considered the sin. You have to start knowing that they are probably postmodern and you can find that out by asking the question, do you believe in absolute truth? Then you can start down the road with that. And that's how, that's one of the ways, that, and probably the simplest way, that you can start to engage people on what is right and what is wrong. Now with this theistic worldview, theism is not good enough for you to believe in one God that there are absolute right and wrong values which are out there. Because Islam is the same Judaism is the same. They believe in one God and they believe there are abs there's absolute truth. You must have a biblical theistic worldview. You have to hold to what the Bible teaches. Now, you may not even know if you have a biblical worldview. I'm going to give you some questions and this was put out by George Barna. He put out I think there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight questions. I'll probably only have time to go through these questions here. And you can, if you answer yes to all of these, you probably have a biblical worldview. If you say no to even some of these, your biblical worldview may be non-existent or lacking. And so you have to have a biblical worldview in order to do God's will when it comes to witnessing to people. You can't be squishy in the middle, right? You have to have definite views. When I was in seminary, they said, you have to know what you believe because the people expect you to know what you believe. So when they ask you a question, you can give them an answer and you don't waffle all over the place. Well, let me see. I, I'm not quite sure how I feel about that. You cannot do that. God is black and white. He says, this is wrong and this is right. Now, we're going to see if you have a biblical, biblical worldview. The first question, I already covered this. Do you believe in absolute, that absolute moral truths exist? For instance, murder is always wrong. 
And some people say, well, Bible says thou shalt not kill. Now, I'm sorry, that's a bad interpretation. Murder is the word. Murder in the first degree, it's always wrong in every single culture. Now, there are these revenge killings, these type of things, and Scripture made uh, allowances for that, these cities of refuge, and you could run and you could have your case heard. But this idea of premeditated murder, it's always wrong. It's an absolute truth. If you hold to that, then you have a biblical worldview. Is absolute truth defined by the Bible? Now, I'm going to give you an example of this. I talked to my aunt once, and my aunt said, and she claims to be a Christian, and she said, I believe in reincarnation. You're moaning. Why are you moaning? The Bible says it's not true. There is no reincarnation. It is appointed unto man once to die and then comes judgment. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27. And so you might think you're holding to some of these absolute truths that are in the Bible, but you may hold on to a few that are from postmodernism or from a pantheistic worldview. And you kind of, like for instance, maybe you go to uh, karate and yoga uh, and you say, well, you know, I just, I feel better when I do it, and namaste, you know, and all these different things that you say, and that is part of Eastern religions. Now, there is a physical aspect to that that is probably really helpful, but you want to divest yourself of anything spiritual. Meditation, maybe some of you guys are involved in meditation where you just, um, clear all things, and you get in the lotus position, and you put your fingers upright. Don't even go there. That is not biblical truth. God never says to do something like that, to vacate all the knowledge inside of your brain and just focus on nothingness. That's not what God wants you to do. And so if you think your absolute truth is based in the Bible and you're holding that kind of stuff, you really don't have a biblical worldview. Did Jesus Christ live a sinless life? Let me ask you a question just to stir it up a little bit. Do you think Jesus ever got spanked by his mom? Okay, it's a ridiculous question. We'll never be able to answer it. But you see where I'm going with that? It's like, well, wait a second. I don't, I, I don't know if I can buy into that. There you go. <laughs> he had Scotch Guard everywhere, you know. <clears throat> okay. I'm sorry, what? That is the third question. Is absolute truth defined by the Bible is the second question. The, third, the fourth question. Is God the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe and does he still rule it today? In other words, did we evolve from the Big Bang? Now, I have a little bit of acceptance with the Big Bang. But who caused the explosion and who directed it? And how fast did it go? I mean, it's going much faster than the speed of light. When you look at some of that stuff, you just go, Scripture says he flung the stars out with his fingers. Now, how big is God? He's bigger than the whole universe. How big is his hand? Huge. If he flicks something out there, how fast is it going to go? No, he doesn't have a hand. I don't don't want to ruin that for you. But this idea of stuff going out there, it's, it's just huge how he did it. He just, there it is. It just came into being. And so what the scientists explain is the Big Bang, if you hold to evolution, that the planets coalesce around the center sun that ignites and all these materials come together inside the universe. And it's like, would you give me a break? God created it. He set it in motion. And we've never actually observed any of these processes taking place. It's all theory. And so if you hold to the evolutionary side, it's like, no, I don't think so. God declares that everything was wound up and now it's winding down. Evolution says everything was down and now it's winding up. And it's not the case. Now, I can go into that more, but if you believe that God is all-powerful, He's all-knowing, He's the creator of the universe, and He still rules it today, then you have a biblical worldview. Is salvation a gift of God that not, cannot be earned? That's a biblical worldview. If you think, well, if I'm just good enough, God will accept me. That is not a biblical worldview. That is a view of the cults. The cults will tell you that you have to work at it in order to get it right. Hinduism would have to say, this is a do-over, Groundhog Day. You're going to have to do it again, defending your life. You know, Meryl Streep was in that one. You have to do it again and, and make the rounds again. 
If you believe that salvation is a gift of God, you have a biblical worldview. Is Satan real? Not everybody believes that as a Christian. They say, no, he's just an epic figure. He's just something that encompasses all evil. No, he's a dude. He's a, he has personality. He's not a person, so to speak. He was an angel, and he fell, and he's real, and there are demons. And uh, the people in the naturalistic side would say, that's ridiculous. If I can't see it, it doesn't exist. And you've heard the old joke. You can't see your brain either, can you? It must not exist. And, and so there's all kinds of jokes you can make out of that. But if something, you can't see it, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So Satan is real. If you believe that, then you have a biblical worldview. Does a Christian have a responsibility to share his or her faith in Christ with other people? The Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. If somebody believes that they can just be sequestered in their house, go to church on Sunday, and that's it, they're mistaken. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us study to show yourselves approved, the workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Be prepared in season and out of season to give a reason for the hope that lies within. We are to become well-versed in the scriptures so that we can help others who are out there. The last one, is the Bible accurate in all of its teachings? It is in its original autographs. Now, what does that mean? It means... All these translations, they have little punctuation errors. They have different words that they'll use that maybe don't match up with the original word in the uh, the Greek. For instance, um, the word homosexual. You know, that didn't come around until the 19th century. And so how did they describe that in the Bible? If somebody comes up to you and says, the word homosexual doesn't even appear in the Bible anywhere, so how can you say that homosexuality is wrong? Well, the word Bible doesn't appear in the Bible either, and so that doesn't make it wrong, and they'll say the word rapture doesn't appear in the Bible. Well, it does in the Latin Vulgate. It's rapturo, and, and so these different translations use different words, and so you, you want to make sure that you believe the Bible is actually the Word of God and where you find these little discrepancies, you can overcome those through study of the Word and the different translations that are out there. You can get back to the original, which is there. So if you have a theistic, biblical worldview, you are on a solid foundation. If you have a pantheistic, if you have a naturalistic, if you have a postmodern view, you are not on good footing. You are mixing something of those worldviews in with your biblical worldview. And God would say, if you're going to be effective in being a witness to those who are in the homosexual community, you have to have this down. You have to know who God is. You have to know the condition of humankind. You have to know what our existence is right now that is full of sin and we're destined for destruction. You have to know that there is a judgment to come. And you have to believe it with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. If you do that, you will end up being effective. So I have set up for you the construct. This is what you're to hold to. If you hold to these other worldviews, you need to forsake those. If you don't, you will not be effective in your walk with Christ. Now, do we have any questions as we close here? You got this down. So when I quiz you next week. Postmodernism is culture. culture. Culture defines everything. The naturalism would say material world, that's all there is. So they're like ethics instead of morality. Yes. You want to explain the difference? That's correct. So if you have transgendered in the military, if you have the abortions going on and the harvesting of 
uh, organs of those children, if you have uh, the depiction of homosexuality on television, all those things are ethically acceptable as defined by the culture. Okay, uh, But when it comes to which culture you're in, that will change. There are no absolutes, and you better not say you know that there are absolutes. That is not acceptable. That is nothing but hate speech. So does that clear it up for you? Culture and material world in those two. Any other questions? Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the chance to get together and and go over this information. I pray that you would sink it into our hearts, that we'd be able to retain it. Just simply what kind of worldview we hold to. And Father, if there's anyone in here who has been um, dabbling in the other stuff, I pray that you would just show them the light, show them the truth, that they can hold to what is good, just, and fair according to your word. Nothing that we make up on our own or that society puts in place. Help us to judge all things by your word. And Lord willing, we will do so in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming.